The largest homeless shelter in the state is right here in Cleveland, and they're really bracing for the dangerous cold weather. Yeah, the men's shelter is ready for a large increase of people. That was a recent clip from WKYC in Cleveland reporting on the mobilization of area homeless shelters as the so-called polar vortex approached. The vortex not only brought with it record and near record lows throughout the state, but those extremely low temperatures are a health crisis for the thousands of Ohioans who remain without stable housing. This is Prognosis Ohio, Ohio's healthcare policy and politics report. I'm Dan Skinner. As we think about issues like homelessness, it's easy for those of us with secure, safe, and dependable housing to fall into the trap of thinking about such problems in the abstract. Those among us who live the realities of homelessness, food insecurity, and other day-to-day challenges know all too well how something like below-freezing conditions turns something like weather into a life-threatening emergency. While the American news media continues to be under attack, not only because of well-known comments made by our president, calling them, for example, the enemy of the people and things like that, but because of economic pressures that have shuttered papers and led to layoffs around the country. We're lucky here in Ohio to have several quite good newspapers that continue, even with dwindling resources, to do the hard work of reporting on a range of healthcare policy and politics issues of great importance to Ohio's cities, counties, and towns. While they're of course not perfect, I believe firmly that reporters at The Inquirer, Dispatch, Daily News, Blade, Plain Dealer, and others are covering stories in the healthcare space that, were they not to cover them, would likely be ignored. One of my hopes for this podcast is to talk from time to time with some of these Ohio reporters, to find out about the stories they're working on, and to talk about healthcare issues more generally. So a heads up to Ohio healthcare beat reporters. I'll be in touch, though I'd love to hear from you as well. I'm thrilled for our first episode of this nature to have on the podcast Ginger Christ, the Cleveland Plain Dealer's business of healthcare reporter. In this discussion, we talk about Christ's reporting on homelessness in Cleveland in Akron, as well as general developments she sees as taking place in the areas she covers. Christ has been a reporter in Ohio for over 11 years, starting with the Ashland Times-Gazette. She's been at the Plain Dealer for the past two and a half years, focusing on a range of issues, but clustered mostly in the area of healthcare and transportation. In the past, she's also written for the Akron Beacon Journal and the Dayton Business Journal. Okay, now to my conversation with Ginger Christ. Ginger Christ, thanks uh, for coming on Prognosis Ohio. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So one of the goals I have for this fledgling podcast is to hopefully begin to talk more regularly with some of the hardworking healthcare reporters around the state, such as yourself. And um, I I really think that the work you do is essential to the health, literally and figuratively, of our state. But I'd like to start with an issue that you've focused on extensively in recent months, and which is particularly important this time of the year, especially after the uh, polar vortex we just went through this past week. Um, I'm talking, of course, about homelessness. It seems like homelessness is on the decline in, in the Cleveland metro area, but is still a lingering problem. And I wonder if you could just start by giving us a snapshot of the homelessness situation in Cleveland and in the surrounding areas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've only started um, covering homelessness recently. I was kind of um, led into that by um, what was going on in Akron. Um, there, Sage Lewis, he's just a private business owner. There were homeless people who had asked to um, set up camp, set up a tent camp in uh, his backyard of his property. Um, And the city of Akron um, basically told um, Sage that um, to do so violated zoning laws 
Um, and so that, that encampment has since been cleared out and he's helped try to relocate the people who are living in tents to different areas. So after seeing that, that was kind of my first introduction into homelessness. And I realized we really weren't doing a lot to cover that at the plane dealer. Um, so I decided to, to just start exploring that. So I'm still pretty new to understanding homelessness. I definitely don't, don't want to consider myself an expert, but I'm trying to learn. I've been setting up meetings and um, meeting with people. So in Cleveland right now, um, there are different numbers um, that officials will give on um, the count of homeless people. NEOC, which is the Northeast Ohio Coalition for Homelessness, I think, um, uh, they, they estimate there's something like 23,000 homeless people. Um, but the county says that number is much lower. I think they say, um, I have their count. I think they say it's like 1,200. Um, if, but that's, that's only um, you know single adults. So the, the reason that those numbers differ so much is that the number NEOC gives um, talks about or also includes people who are staying with friends and family. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they actually have somewhere to stay. They're not literally on the streets, but they're in that kind of um, spectrum where they easily could be on the street. They don't have a home of their own. So the numbers vary a lot. But yeah, so I mean, that's that's kind of the, the basic level. I mean, there's there are uh, people who are in shelters. There are people who we call shelter resistant. And a lot of those people are ones in Cleveland, especially who uh, live in abandoned buildings or set up tents. um, Like what we just saw um, uh, people living under the Detroit superior bridge. They were recently cleared out um, by the Metro parks um, because they're, they're starting to do renovations down there um, for riverbed. So yeah, it's kind of like three different um, groups of people. Sounds like a little bit like how how you define homelessness is going to really make a difference in the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is it a, a kind of situation? You know, when I was in New York, uh, we had a phenomenon where a lot of people made a conscious decision that they were safer on the streets than they would be in the shelters, especially women, especially you know gender nonconforming folks. You know, I, I, is there a similar phenomenon like that as far as you can tell in Cleveland? Yeah, absolutely. Um, from the people I've spoken to, both in Akron and in Cleveland, a lot of them have said that you know they they feel safer in a tent camp um, or on the streets with people that they know um, in groups rather than some of the shelters, just because depending on you know what their situation is, you know the shelter can be a, an uncomfortable place for them. A lot of shelters or ministries are tied to religion, um, and some of those make people feel uncomfortable. They don't want to have to, you know, maybe pray before a meal or if they are, um, you know, someone who uh, is part of the LGBTQ community, um, they don't necessarily feel welcome or they feel targeted sometimes. Um, I've definitely heard that. And in terms of women, they a, a lot of them have said they just don't feel safe sometimes in shelters. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely that kind of situation. Also, it's just a matter of, you know, having you know, kind of more control over your life. Like a shelter is supposed to be a short-term solution. Um, You can't have a lot of belongings with you. If you have pets, you can't have your pets with you. A lot of times shelters are divided into men's and women's. um, So families couldn't stay together in that case. And so a lot of people, if they decide to stay on the street, that's so that they have more, a little more control over their life, even if it's um, a little uh, less comfortable, I guess. 
Yeah, and that's something really important for people to keep in mind when they might be judgmental, intuitively judgmental and saying, look, we have shelters, go to them. There's no reason to be out on the streets, but to really understand the root causes of what that life is like. Yeah, and there's like a there's a process to even get into a shelter and some people like don't want to do that or to even do that seems, you know, intimidating to them, you know. Like you have to you have to go to central intake in Cleveland. Um, and you know, there's paperwork you have to do and things like that. So I mean, something like that just could seem, could could just really be anxiety-inducing for some people. Well, some aspects might be obvious. Some of our listeners might not know exactly what we should be thinking about uh, in casting homelessness as a health issue. Can you connect the dots for us a little bit based on your reporting? In, in what way is homelessness an issue of health as well? Sure, yeah. So in health, one of the things we talk about a lot, we talk about population health, that is, you know, the health of an entire community. So part of that is what we call social determinants of health. Those are things like housing, transportation, uh, access to healthy food, things like that. So when you're homeless, I mean, you're, you're uh, a lot more likely to have health problems. You don't have that structure in place where, you know, you're going to the doctor regularly or you don't have access to just housing. I mean, just having a regular meal or you know, a way to get from place to place. So all of those kinds of things make you a lot more open to, to more risks, I guess. Um, you know, one of the things that I write about a lot is um, food as medicine and that kind of idea. And we see um, people who don't have access on a regular basis to healthy foods, their, their risk for chronic disease, um, heart, heart disease, um, obesity, things like that, all of those go up significantly, and there's a lot of studies on that. Just if you don't have healthy food, and the same the same kind of things exist. They're just you know, it's it's a little more complicated to show, but all of those kinds of things play a role in just someone's everyday you know health. Great. So it's really a root cause and something that creates a whole other set of of conditions out of it as well. In addition to the fact that, I mean, obviously, again with the during the winter just the danger of being on the streets during those times in and of itself is a health issue, but the way in which that facilitates all these other potential risk factors as well. Right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the obvious part too is just, you know, during the winter it's freezing. We had a few people already freeze to death this year and we usually do. So, I mean, that's just a, a direct link there too. So you've reported on, as you mentioned before, Sage Lewis and the the Second Chance Village and and the tent city that uh, he had been putting up. And he sounds like a real community activist uh, who's working hard to address the homelessness issue. It, it also seems from my reading that there's a lot of faith-based organizations that are addressing this issue. Can you give me a little snapshot, though? I mean, aside from the community organizing and the faith-based organizations, what the city of Cleveland, the city of Akron, what, what are the municipalities doing? Do you get a sense that they are uh, increasing their capacity to deal with this issue and that's why the rates have gone down slightly? Um, or you know, do you get the sense that th- this is a fragmented system that could still use some organization and some focus and possibly funding? I mean, there's definitely a system in place in both communities. Um, it's called the Continuum of Care. And so that is kind of how all of the organizations that deal with homelessness kind of intersect and they develop a plan together. So there's, it's, I mean, it's pretty map, well mapped out, you know, that if you fit into this kind of part of the system, this is where this person goes. 
Um, these are the options available to them. So it is very well organized. Uh, but there are, I mean, there are wait lists and that's, you know, there still are people who are waiting um, to get access to some things. During the cold weather that we had recently, area shelters opened their doors and, and got rid of the wait list or any kind of um, requirements they had for someone to stay. Um, so they they were letting anyone in. But typically there is there is a wait list, especially in Cleveland, in terms of family housing. Um, I think the, the stat is that it's 40 percent more people are on the waiting list than they were like just a few years ago. So I don't know how, what to attribute that to. Um, but I know, I know that there definitely still is, is a wait list. So there's definitely more we can be doing. Um, and I think people are just trying to figure that out. I wonder what that says about the way in which that system is built, that they can waive requirements during really extreme times. I mean, what, what are some of those requirements that they were able to just say, okay, everybody in? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, so it's not going through that, um, that central intake. So basically like checking on someone's, um, like proving their identity. Um, in Cleveland, you have to go through a few meetings before you get placed into a shelter. And so all of those kinds of just administrative things mostly are what, what are being waived. And so they're basically just saying, if you're cold, come in. It's getting rid of the wait time and getting rid of just any of the kind of administrative side of things. It does make you wonder a little bit about the ways in which we think about these systems during times of extreme emergency, as opposed to more, quote unquote, normal times and think about capacity. And of course, I mean, again, drawing on my understanding of homelessness when um, when I was really focused on it in New York was you really do have to be sensitive to economic times. I mean, when, when unemployment uh, is up and down, um, when various other economic factors, um, and, you know, and then they interact with the weather, of course, all of these kind of become a perfect storm with, with homelessness and housing issues. Yeah. I mean, the people that I've spoken with so far have said, you know, because I ask everyone, you know, how, how did you become homeless? Because to me, I mean, I, I, I've always had a pretty comfortable life. It, it seems hard to believe how or to understand how you could, you know, end up without a home. But I mean, it's very easy. Um, you know, someone loses their job or, you know, they moved in with someone and that didn't work out. So then they have to find out what to do. A lot of people end up living in their cars until their cars break down. So, I mean, it is a lot of people when they're when they're making the minimum wage or, you know, just trying to get by, any kind of setback could be enough to, you know, send them into homelessness. And it, it really is a very fine line that a, a lot of people who are, who are living at the poverty line face. So wrapping up, what's something going on in Cleveland or in the Cleveland metro area in the area of healthcare that our listeners may not know about, but really should? So for example, not just problems and challenges, but is there something that you think is exciting, an initiative, a program, a development? So I've been um, kind of encouraged by what I've seen um, in terms of the healthcare systems reaching out um, to work with communities um, in terms of um, dealing with tra trauma or traumatic stress. Like Metro Health um, in this past year just reached out um, and is working with pastors to try to develop relationships to work with the community, identify people who could be at risk for, 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 for different issues and 
um, developing kind of like a network there um, to to help people who have faced trauma or dealt with trauma because it they see it as something that kind of riddles an entire community. And so they're trying to basically work on healing communities together. And so having people in those communities work together. Um, and that's been really interesting to see um, how that's playing out. And that program in particular is still in very early stages, but I'm excited to see how that works. And if, you know, once they start collecting data to see how we can, you know, actually quantify that those kinds of things are working. And again, that's one of those areas where the language of trauma wasn't even really being talked about in this way 15 years ago. And now it's becoming very, very common within healthcare uh, literature, healthcare scholarship, but also more in the kind of common uh, vernacular through which we talk about healthcare. And it's not going to just address one issue or two issues. That's going to trickle up potentially to everything. So in wrapping up, is there anything else you want to add about your reporting, things that you think people should have on their radar screens? Yeah, certainly. So I am the business of healthcare reporter at The Plain Dealer, um, but I'm not our only healthcare reporter. My colleague, Bree Zeltner, um, is doing a lot of work on um, lead poisoning um, with Rachel Desell. Uh, Brie also works on infant mortality um, and a lot of those public health issues. Um, and then my colleague, Julie Washington, is our um, uh, medical technology reporter. So she's doing a lot of things about some of the studies that are that the local hospital systems are doing um, and some of those kind of breakthrough things. So I definitely would suggest checking out all of their work or, you know, they they all have expertise on different areas. During a time when newspapers around the country are experiencing, you know, a lot of distress and a lot of shifting, um, I think we're really lucky here in Ohio to have um, several very good papers in in our cities. Plain Dealer is one of them. The Dispatch in my hometown here is is another and I have to admit to being something of a kind of local newspaper fanboy, I think we need to elevate these uh, newspapers and really realize what we have, especially because they've gone away in so many places. And at The Plain Dealer, you have several reporters who are on various healthcare beats. And those are stories that I have to say nobody else would cover if it weren't for those reporters covering them. So I feel really lucky that we do have them as resources. Ginger Chris, thanks so much for coming on Prognosis Ohio. Thank you. I appreciate it. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner with help from Jory Gomes and Kyle Rosenberger. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. As always, we welcome your emails to prognosisohio at gmail.com and your tweets and follows at at prognosisohio. Your feedback is appreciated and helpful. If you have ideas for themes and guests, we'd also love to hear them. See you next time.